I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Jill, last night was the last meeting before we begin the budget process, right. which will start at the February 7th meeting, our next meeting. And there was just one report last night, Jill, which we'll get into, but let's start with the superintendent report. Last night, Superintendent Skipper announced a new program, I guess, at Edward M. Kennedy High School, Mm -hmm. which is very exciting. Bloomberg Philanthropy has committed about $38 million to expand the Edward M. Kennedy School. There'll be a new partnership between the Edward M. Kennedy School and Mass General Brigham, which will prepare our students for health professions. Students will actually leave the school with 18 college credits. And it was noted that the school will double in size over the next few years. Now, Jill, I got a note here. This is important. You know, this is another announcement that is made outside of school committee, right? It was made in a news conference. There, you were left with questions, of course, around timeline, implementation. Where will the students come from when the school doubles? And so the question is, like, will they need a new school building or new facilities? All of those were left unanswered. And I guess is thirty-eight million dollars enough? I mean, if all of those things have to happen, is that actually enough money in order to see through? all of those different. Yeah. And that, and Jill, not to sound like a broken record, but this is, you know, all part of a master facilities plan and where will students go to school, which schools need to close in order for other schools to double in size. We right. heard the same thing about Madison Park doubling in size. Where will the students come from? But these are all our questions, actually, because none of these questions were asked by school no. committee members. The, no. This was just a bullet point in the update by the superintendent during her report. It's another one-off announcement outside of the school committee that is made publicly through media without any details. Jill, the meeting then went on with the superintendent discussing the school quality framework. Now, this has been on the, I guess this was on the agenda, yeah, about a month ago. And members asked the superintendent for clarification on this memo, where we saw a number of schools change tiers. I just want to be clear about this, Jill. The superintendent last night stated that there wasn't much change, but in fact, there was pretty dramatic change. The superintendent also made the point that the Boston public schools have a different set of metrics than the state's metrics, which is why you may see discrepancy between the way that states rank schools and the way BPS ranks schools. And she actually made the point that they have better data at BPS. Correct, more comprehensive data. Jill, we made the point of this a few weeks ago that in fact, you know, the state is ranking some schools as the top school in the state, right? Or right. one of the top schools in the state. And we'll name that as Boston Latin School or Boston Latin Academy. And both of those schools have been moved to tier two. Right. And I think that raised some concerns amongst members. And then we saw some schools that were maybe in the bottom 10% of the state performance ranked as also tier two or right. even tier one. And how uh, can they possibly be? How can they the possibly same? be? Right. So the superintendent kind of said, well, look, there's not much change. And the change was because we're much much more comprehensive and we're giving families much more interesting data. But the reality is, Jill, we did see significant change. 11 schools moved up two tiers or more. Nine schools moved down two tiers or more. And three schools moved down by three tiers. Pretty dramatic. And Jill, by and large, these changes were due to MCAS. <laughs> they were due to the state testing system. So it's the same and data. As it, the is, state. it is the same data. They, the, they didn't state that it was because of uh, teacher quality or because of school climate or because of 
some other factors, they basically said it was because MCAS. Right. And in all of these cases, it was either the MCAS performance on math or ELA, or it was growth of schools. There were their students growing at a higher than average percentage. Right. Um, and in, it's interesting. In Boston Latin School, you may wonder, why did BLS move to a tier two school? It's because their achievement gap got larger between 2019 and 2023. What does that mean? It means the highest performing subgroup and the lowest performing subgroup this is racial subgroup or special education subgroup or socioeconomic subgroup, which they didn't indicate which subgroups. They just said, because there's a larger achievement gap at Boston Latin School, we're moving it to a tier two. That's what the memo stated. And at Boston Latin Academy, they stated because the performance on MCAS for ELA and math went down, mm-hmm. we've moved it to a tier two. This is happening in parallel to the changes made in the exam school policy. Since 2019 was the last time the school quality framework was updated, Right, there's been dramatic changes in the exam school policy, and now it's updated. And now we're seeing different data. So Brandon Cardet Hernandez, one of the school committee members, questioned how the school quality framework was used in school choice. And this is really the point, Ross, and you, you made this point in the last, the last time that we talked about this. April Clarkson, who is the senior executive director of the Office of Data and Accountability, responded with this explanation. When you're looking at the choice list, they are, they should be relatively consistent year over year. You might pick up a school or drop a school, but you're not having a completely different list year over year. And you're also likely not going to be participating in this process every year. And then Mr. Cardet Hernandez asked this question. Maybe I just got lost because it, it didn't feel simple and not because you weren't being simple, April, but maybe because I'm more simple minded. My understanding is that we are offering families choices within the tiers. So when the tiers move around, your choices change. So like when I was, when my son was applying to school, for example, I was given options in tier one and in tier two. If the tier shift, my choices change around what are quality schools in each of those tiers, but also what choices I have. Or no, do all of my choices stay the same because of geography? I'm just seeing less tier one choices or less tier two choices based on the changes. Or there are a set number of choices within each tier that are then offered to families. Because my understanding from what I called the enrollment center during the process was that I was seeing a set number of choices within each tier so that I was getting a diverse range of choices across the tiers. So if that moves, I then would no longer have access to schools in a different tier. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, it. yeah, to your point, it's not simple. It does get a little complex. And so- um, But it's just I- like- in April for, for you and I, and you're going to keep going, but for you and I, like, it's always like, when we have to say that is like the statement of the problem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just for whatever it's worth, like when we can't explain it, it becomes so hard. If we, if I don't understand it on the committee, yeah. it's like, you know what I'm saying? So to conclude this conversation, Jill, member Cred Hernandez asked the superintendent and the school committee chair, actually implores the school committee chair. Yeah. And he says, hey, can you please put the school quality framework on the agenda? for school committee, not embedded in the superintendent report, but make it a discussion item because entire communities are impacted by the school quality framework index. I think this should have been a full agenda item, not so it is about school quality. I hope this continues to stay here. I mean, there was like that report in 2018 or 2019 that said there's entire neighborhoods that don't have access to high quality tier one options. And so 
I just feel like a policy this big should be in constant research and should be in constant evaluation. I hope we can make that commitment or at least explore what that would look like. And this should be constantly assessed because this is literally this determines where you live determine in a school choice system where you live determines what schools you have access to. I think what's important here is is two pieces. One, we did hear very clearly from BPS that the lists do change by school quality framework. And so even moving a school on or off someone's list is pretty consequential or very consequential to many of our families. And so it shouldn't be taken lightly. And two, this conversation about school quality is the conversation of the district and deserves time and attention from the superintendent's team and the school committee. The meeting moved on to public comment where Chair Robinson announced at the front end of public comment that there were more than 50 speakers last night, with 30 speaking actually only on one topic. She then announced that she was going to recommend that they change the way that public comment is done in meetings. Here's Chair Robinson. Going forward, I will make a change to the public comment period. All topics will have a limit of 10 minutes. That's five people during the first hour to ensure that a range of topics have an opportunity to be heard earlier in the meeting. Those who did not have an opportunity to speak during the first hour will have the option of speaking at the end of the meeting or submitting written or video testimony. This approach will provide a balance to allow for a range of diverse voices. So Jill, this is this is interesting. Okay, so you remember we've went from public comment at the beginning of the meeting, and then Chair Robinson changed that to say, let's have two public comments. We'll do an hour public comment for the beginning of the meeting, and then everybody else will go at the end of the meeting. Right. And then she also had a policy change where if you were in person, you got to speak first, first. and then if you were remote, you got you you got moved to the end of the line. Right. And now she's saying we're going to categorize people by topic in ten minute increments and somehow manage that for the first hour and then do more for the last hour, controlling for their sort of split of public comment. Jill, in the spirit of transparency and ease for our families to communicate with our school committee, yeah, this is getting a little complicated. Well, also, I think that's the power of public comment, right? I mean, this is the only opportunity that the public has to speak directly to the school committee. And so if 50 people show up or 30 people show up to talk on a specific topic, I think they're also trying to create a sense of urgency, right? It, it, they deserve, it, it, every it, one of them deserves to be heard. And it kind of makes school committee members sit back and think, hmm, why are so many people coming? Why, totally. why is this not being handled in the general course of operations? We see this come up at the end with new business items, but there's nuance to this idea that you can put people in a box. So this is going to be incredibly challenging for people to sign up for public comment. We hope they make a better decision about making that easier. What we heard from public comment last night, Jill, was really over 30 people testified for the O'Brien School to stay where it is. Uh, they were very clear they do not want the O'Brien School to move. We also continue to hear from families of the Gardner School, um, really concerned about where their principal went and that their school is in jeopardy. Jill, we also heard two more categories of public comment. One, we heard a continuation of exam school comments. And then lastly, we heard from some families, which is really a prelude to the budget, where they heard about their budget cuts at their school. And I think we'll hear a lot more about this coming up at the next meeting. Then moving along, there was one action item on the meeting agenda last night, the consolidation of Up Academy Boston and Up Academy Dorchester. This was unanimously approved. 
Jill, the meeting then went, moved on to the last and only report of the night, which was a mid-year update. And we haven't seen this agenda item previously, but this seems to be a prelude to the budget. And in this report, which was a, had a lengthy conversation to it, we didn't see a whole lot. So here's what we heard. We heard an update on inclusion planning. We heard an update on health and safety, modernizing bathrooms, and access to grade level learning. And I just want to point out a couple of items here, Jill, in this report that I think are really important to note. And this will get into the conversation that happened with the school committee. The first is on inclusion report. We heard a report that there was 6,600 staff hours spent in planning team meetings. On ensuring health and safety, we heard that there's 300 communications sent to families. On modernizing bathrooms and facilities, we heard that there was 500 participants at listening sessions. And then access to grade level learning, we heard that there was 18,000 hours of professional development taken and that there was 1,546 instructional walkthroughs conducted. Jill, important to note that none of these had any outputs around student achievement. None of these had, how are these impacting our students and our schools? All of these are activities and inputs, but no output language was presented last night in the mid-year report. No, it was essentially a summary of where adults had been walking around and how many meetings they had had. How do they think that that's a proper presentation for school committee members? Totally. It, it, to not explain what the outcomes of the product are. And it's hard to guide a budget process when you don't know what the outcomes are. So let's listen to Mr. Cadet Hernandez, who had a few questions about this. How many plans were submitted? Did everyone submit? Did they not? How many plans were rejected? Like there's no, we don't know how close we are to realizing a more inclusive system because we're just told what's happening and not what's mm -hmm. happening. And like, what's the outcomes of those things? And mm -hmm. that for me is hard. Like that's hard. Cause like, I'm not here to hear the sort of like celebration of everything that's been done. I love that because I trust you and I believe all those things are happening. I'm here to hear if there are outcomes based on what we're doing. And I didn't, I don't know, I'm not, I just, I don't know. I'm nowhere clearer on like, are kids making gains? Are we closer to realizing inclusive mm -hmm. practices and the plan for next year? Will we have the right number of schools who we said we're going to have inclusive plans approved and budgeted next year? And during the course of the meeting, so many committee members kept on asking for results that show progress for our students. Where are the outputs? As committee members continue to push for results and outcome data, through the course of all of their questions, Superintendent Skipper tried to address their concerns. Here's what she said. How can it be that in the district that has the highest per capita spending, that for years, and I mean years, <laughs> decades, whatever measure you want, students haven't had consistent access to high quality instructional materials. She goes on to say that, of course, they need to be continuously improving. So, of course, key that they're making decisions off the right data. So we have to work across this system in all parts simultaneously to build a foundation for which we can actually like dismantle everything that has gotten us to the place we are. And she gives this example. So when we say chronic absenteeism, when we say we've declined, we were one of the only national districts to decline positively, right? That's a good thing. Eight, nine points last year. Statistically, we met and exceeded every benchmark the state set. This year, we're six points ahead of that midpoint. 
when I look at the schools, what I see is a real unevenness of schools who have increased chronic absenteeism, schools that have decreased chronic absenteeism, and schools that have stayed very benchmark, very level. We can't go by the aggregate in any of these categories. We have yeah. to go down to the school and classroom level to figure out for kids what's happening. I'll talk about incidences. Is it better to have fewer incidences or is it better to have everyone consistently reporting incidences so that you can then start to work your way back in lowering those incidences? One way districts lower incidences is they just don't report. That's not the caliber and quality that we're trying to achieve. We want everyone reporting so we know what the incidents are, what the types of support schools are, and where the hotspots are. So in actuality, we will go up before we go down. So if all we look at is a metric that says we went up, all we're going to do is the same thing that's happened in the district forever, ask everybody not to report tacitly so that it goes down. That's not going to happen. We are going to get everyone reporting so that we know exactly as a district what needs to be done. Same thing with special education. We're not looking to have less kids identified. We're looking to have students who, who should be identified, identified and giving the supports. So the thing with metrics and the thing with looking at four months into a school year is I just really want to caution us that the work we're doing is so complex that it requires us all to be looking at it from lots of different viewpoints. Right. So, Jill, I mean, this is this was really interesting. So we began with a mid-year report that was a lot of celebrations and a lot of inputs. And then we heard the superintendent at the end, the very end of the conversation say, hey, we're trying to just collect baseline data here. We're trying to reset which these two things were very, these two comments were very different. Well, she's basically saying we don't have a foundation and we need to create a foundation. She's saying we're looking at things in macro, but we don't have micro data. And she's saying, I don't want to go back to the way things have been where we don't actually have the right data to make decisions. Right. And, and, and what we saw at the beginning of the presentation was. It was a bunch of data that you can't make decisions on. Correct. So it seems like the committee got somewhere on this last night where yeah. they kept on asking questions about student outcomes and kept on pushing. And eventually the superintendent said, OK, I agree. We need to collect better baseline data. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation moving forward, Jill, as we get into budget season and we make hard decisions. Well, it will be because effectively she's saying, like, we're just not there yet. Right. That's what she was saying. Uh, how do we know if these investments so, are yeah. working? Yeah, exactly. One other thing happened last night, Jill. There was supposed to be a vote on Chair Robinson's proposal to move task force to a different structure. But last night, Chair Robinson tabled that vote and said they need to have more conversations. Clearly, this proposal may have been more consequential than we were made to believe. So I guess that'll come up in another meeting, right. maybe. Then at the end of the meeting, we heard three school committee members raise new business. First, there was Mr. Tran on the gardener. Uh, given the fact that so many parents had come before us to raise concern about that principle, I understand that this is the, under the purview of the administration. However, the community is crying. So uh, please, at some point, sooner rather than later, I'd like to have 
some sort of a status. And then, Jill, we heard from Mr. Cadet Hernandez on the school quality framework, and he reminded the committee that he wanted to see a plan for how the school quality framework would be updated in the future. And then lastly, we heard from Mr. Alkins, who asked for updates on the superintendent's performance review that we had last summer. And he basically said, I would like to hear about the items we said we want to see you improve upon, including are principals satisfied with the support that they're getting in their schools? What is the central office structure that you've created and does it work? And what is the outcome of these inclusion planning teams that have happened at schools? What are the inclusionary programs that are going to be created and how is implementation going to occur? And he brought these up both at the beginning of the meeting after the superintendent's report and then brought it back around at the end and asked that they please be put on the agenda because they had kind of all agreed to the school committee that they wanted to reassess. You know, the evaluations kind of said, hey, there's room here to continue to improve. And so we want to kind of see where we're, how everything's going. Jill, this is very exciting to see three members help set the agenda for future meetings. Yeah. Let's see if this gets added to the agenda uh, at the coming meetings, and we'll be tracking them as we go. The next meeting will be the superintendent's preliminary budget presentation on February 7th. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.